you mentioned some people just pass me. They, <laughs> Here, you take Jesus no, this year. No, they, they, you know, they eat. <laughs> they <laughs> eat <them. laughs> oh, my God. In order to, to not bring tamales on February. Is this, isn't it edible? No. Love begins at home. Love begins at home. Hello everyone, welcome back to Love Begins at Home and Happy New Year to you all. We welcome you back to this new episode and today we're going to be talking about why tradition is necessary and how beautiful it is in our Catholic faith. Um, But before we do that, We just want to open up, as we always do, with prayer. So, Bible Brad, if you'll lead us in the opening prayer, we'd be so grateful. Yes. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. 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 Lord, make us instruments of your peace. Where there is hatred, let us so love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that we may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, and to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Oh, you're so good at prayer. Do you all come <laughs> that, up with that prayer? No, that that was my my confirmation saint, Saint Francis. I oh. cannot I cannot take credit I was for like, that. Wow, Brad no. is so good at prayer. <laughs> so whole, mystic. Holy Spirit, just oh, right there. Brad, mystic. <laughs> just off the top of my head, off the yeah. cuff prayer. So last time we were talking, um, we were talking about Sola Scriptura, and it was a bit of a. Uh, a, a very intellectualish kind of topic, and so we thank you so much for staying with it. If you did, there's a lot to go into that. Um, but we're hopefully today the topic is a little bit more relaxed, and we can um, have a bit more of a personal engagement in it. Um, so we're talking about tradition, sacred tradition, and the beauty, the beauty of it, and why it's necessary f- for our Catholic faith. And so, Brad, why don't we get started with you? Um, let's first of all let's just talk about what tradition is like if we had to explain what is a tradition um what would we say i guess we can all just go around the table and and share what tradition is or like maybe examples of our own traditions we might have with our family yeah because it can be a good segue into what catholic tradition can look like i think that's a beautiful thing because you know this podcast is geared towards the family and i think we've talked about before how the family is central to our faith. Uh, we call the family the domestic church, and it can it's a great allegory for the church herself and how we have traditions in our own domestic families and then how that uh, blossoms outward into the traditions of the faith. And yeah, I mean, we, we always grew up with a few traditions. Now, my wife, she's got a gazillion traditions. So, you know, <laughs> especially around Christmas times, so we just, we finished Christmas recently, and my my upbringing with Christmas was kind of, all right, uh, my dad is very efficient, let's just get this done so we can relax. You know, that was his, that's his thing. So our Christmas tradition was, all right, get get that stuff out of the attic, let's go and put it down and put it up and all right, let's, let's sit down. 
And it was just a, you know, we were done decorating for Christmas in like two hours. It didn't take us very long. And my wife's family, since her family was so big, they had to make every little thing fun and engaging and, and a game. And so it's a, it's a beautiful family that I've married into, but I didn't quite understand it at first. <laughs> so I remember going over there the first time they were decorating for Christmas when I was dating my wife and they were decorating the tree and I was trying to help with the lights. Now I never put lights on the tree. That was always my dad or my mom and they just kind of threw them on there. When well, I'm, I'm up there and we've got this whole system where we've got three stools and we're like stepping to each stool as we're going around the tree, wrapping these lights or we're just passing the ball around the, the tree. And I'm just, I'm just kind of laying it on there. And my mother-in-law, not at the time, but she says, no, 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 no. That's not the way you do it. Like you got to wrap it in the, like around the bow uh, or the bow and, and then around here, uh, you got to go in deep into the tree and then come out. And so I was like, oh my gosh, what the heck? You know, this is, <laughs> this is not what I've expected. And so having to engage in that tradition has been a beautiful thing to realize like, oh, you know, at, at first this tradition was, I didn't understand it. I didn't know why they did that. But after talking to my wife about it and saying, well, you know, we had to make this fun and engaging because we were all kids and, you know, our attention span was shorter or our, um, we didn't have a lot to do. You know, maybe the jobs were a two or three person job, but there was 10 of them. So how did we make it fun and engaging? So while we're decorating the tree, the others are dancing or something like that with all this. And it's an all day event. And so I remember talking to my wife this year and saying, we're not putting up a tree. <laughs> oh, man, <laughs> that was not the right thing to say. So uh, she, she was talking about that. And, and I realized just how important that tradition was to her. And it was a beautiful moment in my marriage to understand her better by the traditions that Whoa. she had. So uh, I said, OK, you know what? I don't understand this tradition all the way. You know, like I said, this is something I just did. But let's let's take the time to do it the way that you want to do it and maybe we can make our own traditions just with our family mm -hmm. so it's uh, that that's something i don't know if i really answered the question but <laughs> just how oh, I think you did. how i kind of learned the tradition of a family or the tradition of a people and how that helped me to understand them better mm. Mm. that's awesome man that's really great that we can discuss this because it's going to help us to understand the beauty of our catholic tradition as we dive deeper into it. But for me, um, I would like to think and hope that my children remember these times that they're, they're now in, you know, as they're young kids. And, um, you know, Christina and I have really been trying to make our own traditions for our own family. Um, you know, ever since we were, were married and we had our first child, Lucas, we, uh, you know, we always wanted to have our own um, different traditions that we could pass on to our children. And so one that we typically try and keep up with most of the time is like Friday nights when we're all home together to have a family night, which is usually just consists of a pizza and a movie. Nice. But, you know, we always look forward to it. Um, it's just something that we um, have been doing for a really long time. And, you know, kids, they'll just grab their pillows and their blankets and they'll crowd in the living room and, We'll have pizza, and that's like the one night that we usually let them eat in the living room, you know, and we'll watch the movie as we eat, and we just have a big snuggle party, and it's a lot of fun, and it's, um, I know for me, it's going to be something that I'm always fond of thinking on as they grow out of it, and they become young adults themselves, and maybe one day have their own family, so 
um, yeah, the traditions that we have for each other and that we pass on to our family or our children, um, they can be something that can, um, can help us grow in love and grow in um, just, I guess, friendship and fellowship and, uh, like you were saying, like more understanding of the other person. Um, to always have that, uh, that, that openness to, to, to wanting to be together, to wanting to do things together. Traditions have this opportunity for us to engage in activities where we are like living a certain way, living a certain, um, to a, a certain degree that helps us to grow more in love with one another, I feel. So what about you, Jorge? Well, <laughs> I'm a Mexican, so <laughs> as a Mexican, <laughs> let me tell you what. <laughs> Why you're a Mexican? No, no, no. So as well. a Mexican, there's a lot of traditions that oh, yield like <laughs> way too much tradition in our culture. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, so last year, and by saying last year, I mean just, you know, we're 2022. So three weeks ago, I had a posada with some friends. And so you don't know what it's a posada, but posada in Mexico is just a Christmas party. Uh, and we can like do certain things, you know, in the party, uh, Ben was there. So there's kind of like a whole ritual, ritual mm -hmm. to like in order to be a posada and not just like a Christmas party. So you, first of all, you need to have a Mary and Joseph and they're the pilgrims that are kind of like trying to find... Um, a place so are these stay. are these roles you assign to the people at the party <laughs> no oh okay well, kind of, well yeah in, in some way so like for example uh usually a couple will have mary and joseph and then the whole group will divide into two one can be inside and one outside the house and all the lights will be uh turned off all of them will have candles and both sides will have like a guitar or they will just sing so it's a it's a song that it's been uh, written in in Spanish for you know I don't know how many years and it's part of the posadas. Uh, ben, just I think it was was it your first time? Yeah. So yeah. the song was about um, you know Mary and Joseph approaching these people and asking them if they had room for them to stay, and then the people on the I liked I was on the inside, so I was staying warm and stuff. Everyone else, was on the <laughs> everybody else had the short end of the stick right. there, and so they would sing a part asking them to let us in and or asking us to let them in and then we would reply with no no, no, no. <laughs> yeah maybe not no. now not quite <laughs> so yeah, the, the song goes and like then, that you know that uh, mary and joseph or the pilgrims will say hey please let me in blah blah and then the innkeeper innkeepers will answer and you know it's just kind of like a replying yeah, song you know until finally the innkeepers know that uh, it's Mary and Joseph and it's baby Jesus. And of course they let him in and there's rejoice. So, but that's, that's part of a, a classic Mexican posada. And then of course we did uh, a decade of the rosary, which is part of uh, our tradition as posadas. And then we had tamales. And then the most fun part is after everything we had, we got to hit the piñata. You know, so piñata. Yeah, yeah man. I was... love this. <laughs> so the piñata, you know, you might, whenever I say piñata, you'll imagine this kind of like donkey or what is that? You know, the Elmo. figure. Yeah, whatever. Well, it's not. So on, on a posada, the piñata has seven uh, kind of like, like 
Not horns, but not horns. horns. Yeah, points. Okay. Points. points. Yes, like seven a star? points. Is it like a star? Sort of. Kind of yeah. like a star. Okay. Yes, it has seven points, and everyone gets to um, you know hit it with their eyes uh, blindfolded, mm-hmm. blindfolded, and they got to spin before, and it, it's so fun. But it's not just like, oh yeah, we're hitting the piñata out of nowhere. Well, it has a meaning. Yeah, the this piñata, was cool. The piñata has seven. Uh, what's it? Seven points. To represent the... To represent each capital sin, you know? So you are breaking the... So thing. you beat the heck out of this and then, ball of sin. Whenever you finally I like defeat... That. I like this really a lot. Cool. Yeah, whenever you finally year, defeat the piñata, out of the inside comes a lot of candy, which are virtues, you know? Uh, so how did how did this get turned into a birthday thing? Like, how did we just Americans just take this and just no do what no we Mexicans do with it? also have piñatas for oh, that. Okay, but right. in the posadas is more like meaningful. So, anyways, mm-hmm. as a Mexican, I say again, I say we have a lot of traditions, but also sadly we have some other traditions that are not Catholic. So maybe, of course, since we're talking about tradition, we can speak about what is a tradition that gets uh, that will get more richness for the scripture. And what is a tradition that is not part of a Catholic, you know, or something? I would have one recommendation for next year, Jorge. <laughs> what? The candy. Use the candy we have here in the States. <laughs> yeah, we, we <laughs> that candy from Mexico Ooh, is yeah. not... Ch- chilitos, <laughs> tamarindos, a lot of spicy candy. Yeah, I was about to say, yeah. that sounds like hot candy. Yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah. I had like, one piece burn. and I was like, I'm done with <laughs> well, this. It's like, good. <laughs> Right. So what's yeah? That doesn't seem right. You just you beat the crap out of this thing. <laughs> I mean, it's a ball of sin, so you can't have the ball, good candy ball in of there. Sin, and then it's just you're just getting punished for it later. Yeah, you get punished for it later. Well, you enjoy it whenever you go to the paradise. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we'll have good candy on paradise on <laughs> heaven. All right. So now that we've talked about our own personal traditions and the richness of those, the the beauty and the goodness that comes from those. Let's focus now on the beauty of our Catholic tradition. So what does that exactly entail? Bible, Brad, could you start us off with a few pointers here? Of course. So I I know we're trying not to get too intellectual today, but I think it's important to understand the history of how scripture came to be. And what I mean by came to be is the books, the 73 books that we have in the Bible. So the important thing to note is we have a closed canon, which means that there's nothing that can be added to the books of the Bible as scripture. So these books in the Bible, that's it. That's all scripture. Nothing can be added to it. Um, Nothing can be taken away from it. It is what it is. But somebody had to come together and say, these books are authoritatively inspired works of God. These are the works of God. This is God revealing himself to us in these scripture texts. It's also important to note that at the time of the early church, right after Jesus uh, resurrected and ascended into heaven, we're seeing the beginnings of the church, the teaching authority of the church, which I talked about last time, and the mass. We have bits and pieces in scripture of the mass in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Eucharistic meal. Yeah, Eucharistic meal, you know, the breaking of the bread, and... Uh, an acts. And... Right. So it, it's all there. But again, we need another authority to kind of help us put it all together, tie all the pieces together. So while the early church was beginning, there was a lot of people who were inspired, maybe not exactly by God, for other teachings. So when we read the New Testament, especially after the Gospels, 
the earliest text that we have in the New Testament is actually First Thessalonians. That was the first one. Uh, most scholars think that was written about 35 AD, so a few years after, after Christ. And when Paul is writing to these churches, he's also probably not thinking that he's writing scripture. Because if we're reading these epistles, these letters, Paul is writing to these churches for a certain thing. Now, pretty much all of them, with the exception of Philippians, he's writing to the churches to say, hey, you've got this going on. This is bad. Here's how to correct it. Philippians is the only church where he's writing to encourage them and say, hey, you guys are doing great. Uh, Know that I'm praying for you. You're suffering a lot. That's okay. Uh, I'm praying for you. But when he's writing these, and even the others, like James or 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, 1 and 2 Peter, just to name a few, they're not writing in the sense of this is theology. They're usually writing to a people to help them understand the faith or to continue on the way of salvation. So also keep that in mind. While that is going on, there are also other authors that are writing either in the name of St. Paul under a pseudonym. So they're, they're writing as St. Paul, but it is not really St. Paul. So you have a lot of these scriptures that are floating around that are not eventually canonized the scripture. So there's different gospels out there at the time. There's a gospel of St. Peter. There's a infancy gospel of Thomas, which is really weird. Like oh. Jesus is kind of like a demon child in that one. It's, uh. it's a really weird, weird one. There's a gospel of Judas. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, the, that one. yeah, there's these other letters that are being written that are not, they're written in the names of the apostles, but if you actually read them, the language doesn't add up and they were determined to be uh, pseudo letters. So not of that person. So that's kind of one of the characteristics that the church fathers looked at of, are we trying to find the divine works of God? So it's important to note that Scripture, the canonization of Scripture, was not confirmed until the Council of Carthage in 397 AD. So almost 400 years after Christ, we have the canonization of Scripture. Now that's important to note because it was through the tradition of the church. The council was made up of the church authorities at the time coming together to pray, asking for intercession, asking for the Holy Spirit to lead them to what was authentically the works of God. And at this Council of Carthage, they were able to determine, yes, these 27 books are authentically the New Testament. And so you had others that were being read uh, around that time that were to say, no, this is this is wrong, or this is not divinely inspired. There may be good things in them, but as a whole, this is not a divine inspiration of God. So the tradition of our, our faith is very important because it's through tradition that we actually get the canonization of Scripture. But again, the, the sacred tradition and sacred Scripture do not conflict. The, so tradition has to go with the divine inspiration of Scripture. That's one of the pillars, but tradition is also a pillar. So there are complements to one another, as we mentioned last time. Scripture doesn't have everything that we need, and we'll talk a little bit more a bit later about how is God continuing to reveal himself, because if we have a closed canon and nothing can be added to it, and God is continuing to reveal himself to his people, even in 2022, we need something to say, yes, this is of God, because he's still active in our world. He's still active in our lives. I have a great wow. analogy for that, mm-hmm. which I've been waiting for to say it. Just waiting for Bible Brad to shut up so yeah. he can. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> so, 
So let's let's go back to Star Wars. Oh yes, please. Star Wars. You know you have one, two, six, and of course seven, eight, nine, which is which you said is the Quran. That's a Quran. Yeah. <laughs> But you know what would it be the Star Wars universe without the Mandalorian? You know, or oh. or let's say I see where you're going. With or this. let's say Rogue. Uh, Rogue One. Rogue One. Mm -hmm. Or Han Solo, you know these. Eh, these yeah, I know. But these spin-off, spin-offs, especially The Mandalorian, which was a great sh uh, show. You know, wait for Obi Wan. That's Obi gonna be great. Yeah, Obi Wan. Book of Boba Fett just dropped. Oh, yeah. I have yet to Anyways, watch it. Oh, just, oh, yeah, Wars. I know. So my I, analogy yeah. is, you know, the Star Wars movies are good per se, but with these spin-offs and shows, they just add more richness to it. You know, you get. Like, oh, yeah, man, I, I'm more into these. No, that's a, that's a great point, because I remember when the Clone Wars show came out, uh, you know, the super nerd right here, <laughs> but uh, the, the, the animated show, The Clone Wars, I remember watching it, but like, yeah, this is okay. But as I continued to watch it, I said, oh, my gosh, this show makes the prequels so much better. I learned, I'm understanding so much more of what's going on in the prequels, mm -hmm. because uh, episodes one, two, and three take place in a span of, I think, 15 years. So you're essentially looking at six hours, seven hours to tell a story within 15 years. But then you have the Clone Wars that kind of go into how you get from episode two to episode three. And there's a yeah, lot that happens in between there. But having that series helps me to appreciate episode two and episode three so much which, more. Which at first are kind of like boring. But mm. Then you understand it. So way that, I think the way the same way works for the Bible, you know, sometimes you don't understand it until you read uh through the eyes or to the perspective like a, from a saint saint themas saint augustine you know from his homilies you, it's like oh wait i didn't understand it but now i see his approach or now i see you know and i think that's i, I that was the only thing that i wanted to say <laughs> that was, I, I that was really good that's a great really analogy, good analogy. Yeah. very very well done so yes when we talk about these traditions of our church though Um, what are some, some traditions we may think of that might be the more popularized traditions that people are familiar with so we can just kind of start talking about those things so they can identify what that might be? Um, so, for instance, we were talking about um, the Divine Mercy Chaplet mm -hmm. and how St. Faustina was responsible for revealing that prayer and that vision she had um, about Divine Mercy, and now it's one of the most amazing prayers that we have in our church today that we, we say, and we have Divine Mercy Sunday now within the liturgical year. Um, so these things you don't find in Scripture, right. but this was a private revelation that was revealed to St. Faustina that has been proclaimed as uh, something that we can latch on to and, and practice and, yes. and help us to get closer to Christ and grow in our faith. And So yes, Brad, what do you want to say Well, in, I was. I wanted. That. I want to give one disclaimer when we're talking about sacred tradition, is that there's kind of levels of the uh, authority of that. So I mentioned, we mentioned ecumenical councils uh, at the end of the last episode. Carthage was an ecumenical council. Uh, the Council of Nicaea is an ecumenical council. Where that's where we get the Nicene Creed. Yes. So those councils, they, they are infallible. Those are divinely inspired by God, whatever is prayed through and decided through the intercession of the Holy Spirit by the bishops or the popes or whoever is at those councils, that has become now infallible teaching, dogma. 
but we also have other things that aren't quite to that level. So we mentioned the Pope last time, how the Pope is only infallible when he speaks ex cathedra. But popes, especially since Pope John Paul II, have been writing uh, encyclicals. So, so these these are letters to the faithful that aren't necessarily, these are absolute authority, these are infallible. A case could be made that they're very, very close, but they are not held to that same degree as that standard of those ecumenical councils or the Pope speaking ex cathedra. And then with private revelation, the the church says that we are welcome to believe in private revelation, but it's not necessary for our salvation because if it was, then it wouldn't be private. Mm. So something like the Divine Mercy Chaplet, beautiful prayer, beautiful way that it was revealed to St. Faustina in her diary. We get a lot of our theology or uh, depictions of hell or even more so God's mercy of like what Jesus truly is and how merciful he is. So these things help us with our relationship with Christ. They help us in our journey to salvation, but they are not absolutely essential like to our salvation. To our salvation yes, like sacred scripture or the decrees that come out of ecumenical councils. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's awesome. So cool. So then when we think about other um, traditions, uh, like I guess on the same level as the Divine Mercy Chaplet, we could also think of um, the apparitions of Mary, like for instance, for the children of Fatima, like Fatima. Mm -hmm. That would be another instance. Um, Our Lady of Guadalupe, we just celebrated. Well, yeah. About a month ago, ago. yeah. And... uh, and yeah, even even for me with Our Lady of Guadalupe this year, it was it was um, it's something that's been very alive in our parish for a long time, but something that I was not as familiar with. And so to be uh, informed on the whole story behind it and uh, just the veneration that goes into it of Mary and and all the conversion that happened because of the Blessed Mother, who always points us to her Son Jesus, is just an amazing thing. So. Again, like you had mentioned, God is always working. Um, even now in 2022, He hasn't stopped working, and He reveals these different things to us. So we are always being led to, or back, or being drawn back to Him. Really neat. <clears throat> well, at the same time, I want to mention that there are some traditions that, not just because there are traditions that you may do on, at your church or at your parish, belongs to uh, like a general universal church tradition. So, for example, I have a funny, a funny story, and I have uh, a really, uh, let's say, polemic story. Which one do you want me to tell first, the funny or the polemic? The second one. <laughs> the polemic. Yeah, the the yeah, the polemic. Okay, so the polemic story is about how uh, in Mexico we have, uh, we are a very Catholic country. You know, since our Lady Guadalupe, most of the uh, population from Mexico just became Catholic, but also. At the same time, it mixed with our culture, and we started to become more like superstitious, mm-hmm. you know, superstitions and devoted, but not like in a healthy way devoted. So, for example, we have some saints that only exist in Mexico, but they are not um, officially they're saints. Not really from, saints. They're yeah, not canonized. They're not right canonized. They're, they're, so people... You know, just people from their own cities or towns, they come up with their own saints because they had a revelation or because they, uh, someone that has been dead, gave him like a miracle or something. 
and they started on the, in their ignorance and I say it with a uh, real uh, I mean I, I'm they're my my country you know but it's something that at least on the Catholic um, Mexican we've been fighting to kind of like uh, eradicate mm -hmm. so we have Uh, some saints that like there's a narco same some of you know what is a narco so narco is a drug dealer uh, like El Chapo or Pablo what's, what's his last name Escobar Pablo Escobar you know but these people <laughs> you know Brad I, I don't know anything about drug dealers <laughs> okay so. well, anyways so more, why, yeah, why do we know so much about it yeah anyways wow. so these, I mean you Jorge I mean you <laughs> so these people these narcos uh, besides doing their you know, whatever the illegal work, they used to be good with their own people, their own town, and they used to give them money and food and land and whatever. So whenever they die, people just started like seeing them as really good persons. Like, oh man, this, this guy was so good. So they started praying to them. Then they started uh, making statues of them. Then there are shrines built and built, built it on them, you know, uh, and, and, and it's not correct. You know, one example, maybe this one, you know, Brad, Santa Muerte. You I do know, know Santa Muerte. Santa yes. Muerte. That's a very common, uh, apostrophe, say, uh, yeah, quote, saint, but it's not a saint because it's, it's the death, you know, and it's very, uh, related to demonic things, you know, because it's the death and whatever. But it's very uh, prayed in Mexico for some people. Um, so I think those are kind of like traditions that uh, not because everyone uh, uh, does them, they are correctly uh, or they are correct or they are allowed by the by the church, by the authority of the Catholic Church. So same, uh, same now it comes a funny story. <laughs> There was this church that I went to. It was a Catholic church, and we, you know we went to mass. I was I went with my uh, music band, Catholic band, and we were at the mass. We heard the gospel, and then after the gospel, whenever we say the the, the creed, everyone just out of nowhere just turned to the back of the church to the turn to the front door, and we were like, okay, so let's turn around, everyone, and we just started saying the the creed, facing the front door, you know giving our back to the altar. Okay, this is weird. But I mean, maybe it's kind of like a, a tradition, you know, it's something that happens here. We ended the creed, we turn again back to the altar and we continue the whole mess and that was it. And then I, I oh, on the Our Father, we did the same thing. I was like, wow, that is really weird. So after all, after the mess was ended, we asked like, okay, what happened? Well, it turns out, <laughs> but before uh, Vatican II, whenever masses were in Latin, you know, since some of the people in Mexico, they don't know Latin, they painted on the back of the church the whole creed in, <laughs> in Latin so people will read it. And, so know, they turn around to read so it. So they turn around to read it. That's funny. So they will pray it. And then whenever they were done, they will turn back to the altar. But then... Of course, bad it can uh, to happen, and you know they, yeah, they were the creed is now in Spanish, English, whatever. So they painted back to just, I mean, they erase it, but people kept doing that, you know. 
So it's a tradition that happens. <laughs> it was an accidental tradition. That, that's awesome. <laughs> it's a tradition that happens at that church, at that Whoa. parish. But no one knows why. You know, people just come to the church and they don't know the story about it. Only like the old per- the old people are there. Uh, but it, it's just a thing that keeps happening. So who told you that that was the tradition? Was it the priest? That, yeah, the priest. Yeah. The priest I, should just be like, well, hey, let's just not do this. I, I cannot I know. They started doing it when I was here. <laughs> I, I, I don't know why they're doing it. Anymore. Yeah. But, but you know, it's just like an example of not everything that they or like the holding of the hands during the our oh, father mm-hmm. right like yeah. that's that's a weird tradition that isn't it's not even correct well, yeah, yeah it's not liturgically <laughs> correct that i know several churches or congregations do right. still to this day it, it, well it became as jorge mentioned during the latin mass the altar used to be against the wall so the priest did said the mass with his back mm-hmm. to the laity which was the theology or the idea was the priest is part of the congregation, which in a way he definitely is. But then there's another part where he's in persona Christi when he's um, transubstantiating the, the Eucharist. So when he would say the Our Father, after they pulled the altar away after Vatican II, they put it in the center. And now the priest faces the congregation. Well, nobody noticed until then that he puts his hands up. So this is a very priestly gesture. yes. yes. And everyone just thought, oh, we should do it too because the priest is doing it. And so that's how this tradition of uh, holding hands during the Our Father came about. It, it's not liturgically correct, but it, it just happened because people mm-hmm. thought, oh, he's the priest is doing it. I should probably do it too. But it's it's a priestly gesture. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, but, so interesting. Yeah, but there, you know, there there are these kind of like examples of not just because everyone is doing it. It is a Catholic tradition, or it it is part of what we believe, you know? Well, so, Jorge, to kind of go off of what you were saying about the uh, the effects that can have happen because of traditions that, may, that are more negative, um, what are maybe some traditions that we have had struggles with within our own Catholic faith? Brad, do you care to share any that you might have? Or, sure. Sure. Um, yeah, I, I grew up in—I'm I was I'm a cradle Catholic, but I was—my family was a cult—we were culturally Catholic. So we we went to Mass every Sunday, absolutely. You know, we went Ash Wednesday, all all the, the holy days. But I really didn't have a good understanding of the Catholic faith. And through that, my mom's side is very devoutly Protestant. And they, they know scripture very well. They, they know their faith very well. So growing up with that, I was seeing, oh, wow, like they, they're very vibrant in their faith. I want to be like that. And so I told my mom that, and we started going to mass in the mornings, and then I would go to church with my friends who were Protestant. And I learned a lot about, about scripture. And so kind of that upbringing, as Jorge mentioned in the last episode, you know, it, it's good to have those challenges, it's good to have those questionings. But if we're engaging in other faiths without a good, firm understanding of our own, that can have a negative effect and kind of lead us away. And that's where I was. So I remember saying to someone in high school, I had a problem with the uh, the hierarchy of the church, with the Pope and the clergy <laughs> and, and all that stuff. And I remember going, who? designated these crackpots with funny hats to tell us how to live our faith like what what is this <laughs> and so i remember having to really struggle with that and going back to the scripture and doing research on 
how Jesus lays that out in scripture and how it was uh, built upon through the tradition of the faith. As I understood the tradition, the teaching made sense, and then I began to accept it. So that was one of the one of the few things that I was really struggling with was, why do we have a pope? Like, what's the point of that? But now I know that it's necessary for us to have that person uh, or persons to shepherd us, to guide us, so that we don't uh, be led astray. And that's why we often refer to bishops as shepherds, or even pastors, uh, priests as shepherds. There's the shepherd, the people. It's like, oh, this makes a lot of sense. It's Jesus is a shepherd. Priests are shepherds. I get it now. Mm. That's really fascinating. Uh, for me, you know, I never really had struggles with any of the traditions of the church. I'm kind of just like those, okay, cool, I can believe that, and I'll just go along with it. I don't really, <laughs> which can be a downfall, too, because I don't really research it much, you know. And it's faith like a child. Faith like a child, exactly. yes, exactly. That's what Jesus wants from us, yes. Um, but I, I must say, as I've gotten older and, um, you know, me and my wife have really taken on the responsibility of our faith and really engaging and keeping up with the daily readings and the days, like the feast days and the solemnities and all these things. There's so much beautiful uh, times in our church where we can celebrate, um, you know, the certain saints or the martyrs or whomever they may be. And, um, you know, growing up, I, I really didn't, I don't think my family really paid attention to that, that side of our Catholic tradition, our Catholic faith. Of like, for instance, Saint Nicholas Day. We just celebrated on uh, the sixth of I have no, December. I had no idea that that was a thing until it, I started dating my wife. Yes, like, what, what is too. this with the shoes? Me too. And and <laughs> and you know that that's something that her side of the family, her mom's side, the German side, they they practiced and they. To be honest, did. I don't know what you're talking about right now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, like, so on December sixth, which is Saint Nicholas Feast Day, um, you know we. There, what we do with our children is we have um, it's it's sort of like a, a mini little Christmas morning almost if yeah. you want to look at it that way. Um, but you know, Saint Nicholas comes by and he he brings uh, just little tokens of love or, or gifts if you want to call it that. And you know, the tradition is you leave your shoes out and you usually receive an orange and maybe like a candy coin or some small candy and maybe just like a spiritual gift or something. So that's something we've been doing with our children on St. Nicholas Day. And um, again, it was something I had never known about growing up. Um, there are so many feasts and solemnities throughout the year that I didn't really pay attention to either growing up. Um, and so we really tried to celebrate those days with our children and kind of enrich them in that sort of tradition um, as they continue to grow in their faith as well. So, You know, now that you're talking about uh, like traditions that you never knew about him and then he's like, what is that? I just remember I was working uh, for a year, well, for the past four years I was working in a school, Catholic school, St. Patrick in Corpus Christi. And, and it was super, let's say, shocking for me that on February the 3rd, which is a feast of, you know, no? St. Blaise. Yes. The blessing yeah. of the throats. The blessing of yes, the, the throats, throats. man. Okay. It was a new thing for me that all the, all of the kids make a line, mm -hmm. made a line, and then the priest will be kind of like, I mean, it's really, it's a powerful picture, you know. He has like two can candles, two okay. candles, and he puts them over your throat and says like a prayer. Mm -hmm. 
but it's look i mean it's it looks like what is the priest doing what is this you know <laughs> I, i was like nah i didn't know what was happening until later and i was i was singing the mass you know so i was like okay i'm gonna keep singing <laughs> I, don't know, <laughs> i don't know what's happening right now but all the kids are going in the prisons crossing some candles on the throats of the kids yeah <laughs> i was out of context mm -hmm. until later of course i As for an explanation, okay, what happened, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, because same blast, blah, 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 and the throws. Yeah. You know, but there are some traditions that I never knew about it, like the ones that you're saying. And they're like really cool, you know? Yeah. Really good. Yeah, I must I must give a, a plug and a shout out to our Catholic school here, Immaculate Conception, because um, had it not been for ICC, I wouldn't know a, a lot about other traditions in our Catholic faith. Like one of the, the most beautiful in my most favorite um, traditions that the school puts on for the families and the children is that every All Saints Day, they uh, the second grade class, they, each child dresses up as a certain saint. And before Mass, they are in costume and they're brought out. And each child is uh, whatever saint they are. There's a little uh, bio read about that saint and what they did. Nice. And it's just a little procession of the saints as we honor them on that day. And it's just a really beautiful and a testimonial kind of thing for all of us um, on that special day in, in the liturgical year. So it's just really neat of the riches and the beauty of our tradition that we have. And, that, and those things, that's a great testament to these kind of, I, I, for lack of a better term, these lesser traditions where I was saying that they're not necessary, absolutely necessary for our salvation, but they greatly help mm -hmm. having these devotions to these saints, understanding how they grew in holiness and relying on their intercession and remembering how God worked through them. And that's why we have the saints is to look to them to one, be encouraged that there's people who have done this before and it's possible with the grace of God. And two, to just ask them who are sitting at the throne of Christ, pray for me. You know, today is um, January the 6th, and in Mexico oh, we yes. celebrate the Epiphany of the Lord. Yeah. Here in the States it's on a Sunday. Mm -hmm. uh, but in, in Mexico we celebrated the 6th. And in Mexico it's uh, El Dia de Reyes, you know? So it's kind of like a second Santa Claus thing. Uh, so you get gifts on, you know, on Christmas, but then on January the 6th, like two weeks, like two weeks later, you get also gifts from the three kings, mm -hmm. you know? And Did you say there's a cake or something that's involved with this? Yes, La Rosca. Oh, oh. man, yeah. <laughs> you showed me a picture of that thing and it didn't look too yeah. appetizing. No, it, it's really good. So it's kind of like a bread. Yeah. It's uh, like that and it, it also has a lot of uh, meanings and, you know. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's just something that happens. Yes. You said that there's like a, a baby Jesus oh, inside. Of course. Right? Okay. So yeah, I'll, I'll guess I'll See, say another it. tradition. Here we go. So <laughs> it's a, uh, it's a uh, bread, but it goes in a, how do I circle in a circle? Yeah. So it doesn't have anything on the, on the middle. Oh, uh, like a King's cake. Or is that, I think that's what they're called. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And, and, but inside all that cake, there's little figures of Jesus, baby Jesus. Yes. Just one? Just one? No, like... Multiple. Yeah, like six, seven, okay. eight. You know, I don't know. Because that's theologically accurate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> And the more then, Jesus, you know, the better. We, that's what we celebrate always in, in January the 6th, which we call Dia de Reyes. And I don't know if it's Catholic or not, now that you're saying it. <laughs> But anyways, Whoa. so we, we everyone gets a slide, and whomever gets baby Jesus in their slide... 
They'll, then on February the 2nd, we celebrate uh, Dia de la Candelaria. I don't know what's the, what's the saint. I, I guess it's saint in, in, in Spanish. Are I you sure? Let, yeah, let me just look it up really quick. But anyway, it's a, it's a feast. Uh, and on that day, whomever got the baby Jesus on January the 6th, have to make tamales for everyone. <laughs> Sounds so, like a punishment. Hey, you got Jesus. <laughs> Dang it. Yeah. <laughs> I hope yeah. you know how to make tamales. You know, no, funny story. Now that you mentioned, some people just pass. Here, you take Jesus no, this year. No, they, they, you know, they eat. They <laughs> eat. Oh, my God. In order to, to not bring tamales on February. Is this, isn't it edible? No, it's plastic. <laughs> <laughs> or, or they hide it. Man. I have some problems later. Need some confession there. <laughs> I ate baby Jesus. Yeah, but anyways, there's... there's uh, uh, Dear Lord, baby Jesus. <laughs> oh, okay, so now I got the, tra the translation. So, Dia de Candelaria happens on February the 2nd, but, but it's also known as Feast of the Purification of the Blessed Virgin. That's what we celebrate on, on the 2nd. So, the, so, whomever gets baby Jesus on the Epiphany will get to make tamales on, on that day. Um, but yeah, those are some kind of traditions that happens also in Mexico. <laughs> oh. But you know what? Now that I, I want to share our, um, a tradition that I really like, um, I don't know if it's something that the Catholic Church teaches per se or not, but we do it with my family, at least, many families in Mexico, that on, on Christmas Eve, uh, we get to... Uh, laid down G baby Jesus in the manger. So mm. for the whole Advent season, we have the, you know, the nativity scene, but no baby Jesus. No, on. actually, I, I would think the nativity in parishes, that's kind of the case, is the nativity will be out, but Jesus won't be there mm. until mm. Christmas Day. Morning, okay, yeah, yeah. Well, well, that's what we do. And then, when it, we, of course, we go to Mass on, on, on Christmas Eve. Then when we got home, when we get home, we get... Uh, all the family, we get to pray, uh, and we have this prayer, and you know the the oldest brother gets to say something, and then the the small, the yeah, the youngest say to say something, and then the wife, the dad, and we all give a kiss to uh, baby Jesus, and we sing some uh, Christmas carols to him, uh, kind of like uh, uh, like lullabies, and then we we lay him down in in, in the manger. You know, and that's something that my dad has been, like, pushing it every year. So when I was little, it was like, oh, man, why do we have to do this before dinner, you know? <laughs> as Because as Mexicans, we have dinner, like, at 9 in the night. It's going to be, like, 10 o'clock. Yeah, so, you know, we went, we go to Mass, like, at 8 o'clock in the night. And then after Mass, we have to do this. And then we can have dinner, like, at 10 p.m., so when I was a child, I was like, oh, man, I just want to have dinner, go sleep or go play with my cousins or whatever. But now I re like as, as I was uh, growing, I was like, oh, this is a really cool gesture, you know, that helped me, that helps me contemplate more uh, this mystery, which is an activity in Jesus is, you know, it, it was born, it was a baby, not, not only that. Um, old person that we know that you know 33 years or something that he was actually a baby he was actually boring yeah so well that. and you said it i think when non-catholics look at our traditions they may think well they're just adding a bunch of extra stuff they're just doing things unnecessarily but like you said jorge it helps you understand the person of christ better or the mysteries of christ and you know that's why we have 
these traditions, you know, lower T traditions, to to help us understand those things. And, yeah, but there are some weird ones that I'm like, <laughs> well, like Catholics. I'm like, what? What are we doing? Like, uh, I, we took a pilgrimage to Rome a couple years ago, and we went to Siena, Assisi, and then to Rome. And in Siena, there's Saint Catherine of Siena's head, but in Rome, her body is there. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, she was a martyr. No. This was postpartum. <laughs> we just we chopped up her head postpartum. And we put put her head in in Siena and her body's in Rome. I was like, what What are we doing? But I think it had to do. I think the idea was it had to do something with in her time the papacy was split between Rome and France, and she was very instrumental in bringing the papacy back to Rome. Oh. So I think there's a little allegory there, but the first time I thought of it, I was like, this is so weird. Why do we do now, that? Now that you <laughs> mentioned, and before we end this episode, because it's getting longer, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I kind of remember there's two heads of John the Baptist or something like that. Someone told me like... like I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah, like somehow, or maybe not John the Baptist, but some saint, you know, their head is in a place, but it also... It's it's in another another church, hmm. and, and it's be, it's been raided. So it's like, whoa, we this, he had two heads or what happened? So somehow people explain it that. So I guess we should talk about relics next time because people are probably like, "What (laughs) What are they talking about?" People, you know, say that one was kind of like the older one whenever he was old, and the other one when he was a child. Yeah, so So that didn't sound right to me. I bet you. I'll look it up for the and next you come time. Come back next time. Yeah. I don't know. If I don't know you come back, about, but it, it's a thing. It's a, I'm not in Mexico. For, so Mexico is safe from that one, but it, it happens in. They're in, safe from that one. Yeah, it's not on our fault. It's it's in Europe. <laughs> on that note. On that note. <laughs> let's close in a prayer, shall we, Bible yes. Brad? All right. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus. God bless you so much. Thank you so much for just this amazing time, this camaraderie that we've had, uh, just how much fun we've had today talking about the traditions uh, of the church and sacred tradition, but also the the small traditions, Lord, that you've given to us to help understand our faith and just the beauty of Catholicism. Lord, we ask that you continue to send your spirit down upon us and enlighten us, not so that we may become full of knowledge, Lord, for as St. Paul says, knowledge puffs up, but fill us up with Lord. Uh, with with love, Lord, because love builds up. So increase the gifts of faith, hope, and love in us, Lord Jesus, that we may turn and give those to others through your grace. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks again, everyone, for joining us today. And uh, if you haven't uh, followed us yet on Instagram, please do that. And then also like us on Spotify. And we will see you very soon with a new episode coming up in the next few weeks. So we wish you all a continued blessed Christmas season and um, enjoy this time with your families. And we'll see you next time. God bless. God bless. Bless you all.